Hello, I'm Lottie Mack and this is Modes of Making, the podcast that focuses on the process before the piece. Each episode, I'll be talking with someone new about how they do what they do. Today, we have Oli Jide Takare, a photographer from North London who is stunningly talented at the photos that he captures of people, community and candid beauty. Why I brought Oli on is, well, I met you at uni through like mutual friends, kind of like distantly. And then I found out you were just like amazing photographer through Instagram. And the first walk I, work I saw of yours that I fell in love with was your Cuban series. And there was this one picture of this teenage couple. And That's I just, nice. I loved how you captured that. And the whole Cuban series was so beautiful. And that was like really what really introduced me to your work. I loved the candidness of it. I loved the... I think it's in short in film, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I've just been watching your practice grow ever since then. That was like maybe like three, four years ago. And yeah. like, I love your work. It's so beautiful. And I thought it's really Thank important you. to have you on. Thanks so I'm much flattered. for coming. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Right, thank you, Lottie. Yeah, who yeah. are you? If you want to do a little intro of yourself now, because I've introduced you. Yeah, yeah let me say I rate you as well. So just, oh. you know, I, thanks for having me on. It's, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm flattered to be here. Of course. Thank um, you so much. I've never had someone talk about what I do like this. So it's, yeah, no, it's just it's it's the first of many, the first of yeah. many. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm a photographer, London based. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to be able to call myself a photographer now because that's something that I've always found weird in the last few years of like making that transition from being it being my hobby and an amateur to actually owning the identity and like as a professional sense. Yeah. But I know I've struggled with labels. I want it advanced by practice, so it's not. I just don't just have the tagline as as a photographer because I also I feel like I can write. So I suppose photographer, but with the space for other thing to come in as a realm of artistry, a I constant suppose. state of growth right now. Hopefully, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, we'll yeah, speak yeah. to you in like a year's time, and you'll be like, yeah. I am this. Like, <laughs> yeah, period, yeah, period, yeah. period, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love so. that. Yeah, multifaceted, babe. I love um, that. Okay, so I thought maybe to introduce you to everybody would go into like your journey so far. Sure, yeah. So like people get know where you've come from, mm. where you're going, things mm. like that. Let's go right back to the beginning. Mm. How did you get into photography? Is it that your upbringing have any creative um, influence? Or I feel like... How did you get into it? My mum took me on holiday with her and my her then partner. She gave me a camera, went to Sicily and I started taking a lot of pictures. How old were you then? I was must have been seven, six. But like oh, I, I was had an affinity for like just capturing street scenes. I didn't know why they were good. My mom said, "Oh, these are good photos," and we had them up on the house and stuff, printing them out. And wow, that's as so I got, supportive. I got older. I kind of realized, oh yeah, those were not those weren't that bad actually. <laughs> and I think I always I always sort of liked cameras. I, I liked the, the the physicality of cameras. I liked tech. When I take a roll and then I get it developed, I'm like a kid at Christmas, like yeah. gassed to just see what I've taken and what what the results are. So I think that that sort of love and that sort of like mysticism of of not knowing what I'm going to get and having to be a bit selective of my, my images and stuff mm. definitely ignited my 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 love for the craft. But yeah, I was always the guy in like all friendship groups that was the one who took the pictures, you know. Um, There's always that one friend. I love that friend. Yeah, yeah, friend. yeah, yeah. You know, and they're like I would be quite like shameless about it as well. But I think mm. that's that's certainly what ignited the interest initially is just like always having a camera and and taking pictures of my mates just doing what they do but also trying to find pockets of beauty in moments that aren't obvious you know yeah. so i think a lot of the images that i first struck that i realized oh, i had a bit of an eye like made it cinematic yeah exactly and i think that it was initially what i always look for when i go out sort of looking for images is like that that moment mm. of like okay there's, not, there's, not, there's nothing planned about this but for that split second in time something lined up yeah you know, and it looks good they are just a moment and a lot often it's completely instinctive i didn't know that was going to be that good i got it back got the negatives back. I was like, oh that's a good image so that's i think when i started my masters i i um i took i actually presented that image that you were talking about the cuban of the cuban couple you know because we, we had to present one image that we really liked interesting and, and, and i like that one as well i'm surprised because yeah. your website also now doesn't really have the cuban series yeah, in isolation it doesn't, it doesn't really and i can explain that in a bit but yeah we'll get to I, that we'll get I, to that i think um that image i have a, I have a real closeness with and i think because of how i took it and it's like we literally me and sam are in a cab going somewhere and we're at a traffic light and the wind I rolled the window down and I just took the picture you know mm. it was a complete just you chance had five moment had five it. seconds yeah. saw it just snapped it and I remember the tutor you know asking me 
well, what does the photo mean? You know, what was your process? And, what, what, you know, what's the story being told? Here? Oh. And I was like, there was no story being told here. Like, it's just. But also the story does, the photo story does look also kind of very narrative to be fair as well. Yeah. Like it speaks for, it tells its own story. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of some of those images that I made in the past do just are just what they are. And, and, and to try and draw too much meaning from them or like predisposition or whatever kind of loses for me the essence of why I made them you know yeah no there's a lot of people on my course on, that yeah. struggled with that as well like mm -hmm. trying to force meaning onto their work exactly and I think like for me like as I got through the course and, and now I can get meaning but I feel like I don't want it I don't want that meaning to be like bullshit you yeah know? Mm -hmm. like 100%. I just, I and it. you can tell when it is bullshit yeah exactly I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm kind of hyper aware of that as well I just made these images and, and this I can give you my mindset how I made them mm. but I'm not going to tell you like oh this means that and this means that yeah 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 you know? that's the beauty um, in candid photography yeah well, that's exactly what yeah, it is yeah, man yeah, yeah, exactly. so I went to University of Leeds yeah, and yeah. you studied philosophy and philosophy. politics yeah I studied philosophy and politics it's a bit different and yeah well I knew that like I had an affinity for academia and I was interested in the world and I thought I want to do an academic degree because I just think like I knew myself that I wouldn't in my spare time write a philosophy essay you mm -hmm. know and read philosophers you know I'm not yeah. going to read it's Plato's difficult as fuck as well to do without someone kind of yeah, exactly. helping you along like, as well exactly exactly and like, I knew that like I wanted to engage with that and I think it would make me think a bit more critically and I also think it would aid any artistic work that I was going to do so you chose that course in the back of your head, knowing that you were still going to maybe yeah, pursue I, art I at some point. Thought, I thought I was going to pursue some sort of artistic path, but I knew that ultimately at some point to get political with, with the work that I might do. Mm -hmm. And I think like having some sort of basis in critical thinking and knowing how to argue was quite helpful. But also Definitely. I think just the process of having to write an essay and read literature and things like that was useful for me, like discipline wise. You know? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, so it like really aided that process. And yeah, like, exactly. We're saying your exactly. work's candid, but you definitely, you know, it's very socially charged as well. Well, especially yeah. now, especially yeah. compared to your old work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Which is really, it's gone that really way. beautiful. Yeah. Said that you weren't really like making with too much of an endpointing goal mm. at, at Leeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you finished at Leeds and you went on and did a, was it a master's? Yeah. Yeah, so I, like at the end of Leeds, I, I knew that I sort of, okay, I'm into, I'm still into photography. I think that that's the kind of career I want to pursue in that world in some sort of artistic sense. Don't yeah. really know how to be a photographer. So I thought like, oh, okay, I'll just, it was COVID as well. So I was thinking. Oh, so you graduated in COVID year? Yeah, I graduated in COVID year. Oh, and okay. I just thought And you were like, like, time to study. Yeah, I just thought like, let's just do the masters now. And I thought like, this was a good way of basically jumping ship um yeah. and and trying to get some sort of proper understanding of how I could be serious in this discipline um, so that's why you chose to study instead of just you know because you taught yourself mm. darkroom mm. and you taught yourself photography for a lot of years so mm. it's quite interesting that from being so like independent in the practice you then decided to mm. be not dependent but you decided to like lean on an institution to help you further it yeah so yeah, what yeah. made you make that decision to you know study instead of you could have well gotten, like, I think like, I had like quite a big but I'd done a bit of traveling I'd gone to Cuba and did mm -hmm. that trip in Vietnam uh and I'd, I'd, I don't know I had a couple of things and I'd also made this series where I you know get up really early on Christmas day for mm. like three Christmases in a row and take wow. pictures of London empty which then obviously became completely redundant when Covid happened yeah, so true, yeah. I'd made this whole series of like empty streets in London where you that would be the only day of the year because there'd be no public transport yeah uh, so I, I'd, I'd done that and I'd, I'd, so I'd had the sort of, I'd had a lot of images and had all these images of my friends, but like there was nothing like refined or mm -hmm. like properly tight or like a proper direction. And I just thought like, okay, I want to like kind of professionalize my practice or mm -hmm. what I do here and learn about a bit more about just photography in general, study it a bit because yeah. I've never done that. You so. wanted to study it. You wanted to have the crits. You wanted to have the feedback, exactly. the criticalness and on just, your work. And just like, to understand the theory a bit more you mm -hmm. know uh, of, yeah. of what what who, why is that photographer better than that photographer or whatever yeah. what are the arguments for that you know so do you think it was important that you went well you didn't just do photography you did photography and photojournalism yeah, so that's when you decided to join your yeah. stuff together yeah so I thought like that's that same that seemed like a good route in because I knew that like that course would be relatively like 
rigorous in the sense of like it would want you to think politically critically mm -hmm. about things that you would produce um, and i'd also seen that like a lot of the alumni from the course were you know quite good photographers interesting uh, so and, and, that's a really like key point so before you decided to do the course you're mm -hmm. like oh wait who's done this course what's yeah. their work like yeah, and yeah, is it yeah, going to yeah, yeah. connect with me and like i messaged people who have done the course wow how did you like, do that i just found i went on like the showcase profile of, yeah. like who who had made work in the year i was applying and then i sort of just got in touch being like i know you've been on this course can you mm. give me some advice about it yeah, yeah exactly. that's a really great way um, to approach like deciding where to study and things like that i think so and i think like one of the things that i realized from the course and this is something that's a bit deceptive about places like uao yeah is that you know uao very happy to say look at our alumni who won the taylor wessing look at our alumni who has just won the deutsche borsch prize um but and they were and they studied at UAL but like it wasn't necessarily UAL that made them win that you know I guess like one more final question about like your educational like mm. part of your life like any major tip for for portfolio building for photographers mm -hmm. oh, it, it, it kind of depends on where you where you want to apply where, where you want your work to sit so for me at the moment I mean I could do a portfolio help to be honest but as in Same. I would say that from from my prior experience working in the in the industry in the, in the agency world if you're doing commercial portfolio a client wants to see stuff that oh you can reproduce this here for a lot of the time i'm not gonna take a punt yeah. on someone who's like not as abstract make shit. this again mm -hmm. you know and i think some of the some of the people that might struggle to get work or whatever is when your portfolio and the work you're trying to get doesn't align you know mm -hmm. so it might be it might mean that like oh okay you're gonna have to go and make a project like that if you want to then get in the door there mm -hmm. you know because it's not going to be good enough to be like oh no but i can do that sometimes you know yeah. what i mean it's you gotta like, speak you the to, language of yeah what you're, you have you're to sort of demonstrate to. it a bit but i think with getting on that course uh, or, or any kind of thing like that just just a sense of like a, any sense that you have some sort of visual language or eye Mm -hmm. is good enough to sort of get you on your way yeah. in a uni context i reckon it's different for yeah. commercial work obviously yeah if someone doesn't know what visual language is mm. well, how would you like define what a visual language is? well i feel like it's like can i look at your portfolio and get a sense can i connect the dots somehow between the images that you're making or is yeah. it just completely random you know yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, is there some continuity sort of, yeah, is there some sort of continuity some sort of mm -hmm. coherence to how you go about making your work and i think that is what is everyone is trying to strive for in a way but but if there's some sense of that then that's a you know you're, you're already on your way yeah you know? no i really get that something um, in my practice i really struggle with i do mm -hmm. so many different mediums and yeah, i know yeah, yeah. that like that's the opposite of what everyone wants and what people are to respond to mm -hmm. so i was like okay let me give myself a little subject area yeah. that i'm going to weave through all these different mediums as a way to do it as a thing of that like less is more i remember at the end of the course i had some portfolio mm -hmm. reviews with some people you know curators editors picture editors that kind of thing and unanimously they say you know like just drop this just cut this you know mm. um because i think i was trying to give a sense of everything that i'm possible like i can do yeah. but like sometimes that's overwhelming and actually mm -hmm. just distracts from your better work you know yeah, then like moving on from uni you went and worked at a creative agency yeah, was so that straight out this, of this uni? is actually i should talk about this because please the creative agency i actually deferred my course so I, uh, it was during covid it was online it was that's why i was like interesting time to apply mm. yeah, yeah especially for like a practical it was subject. At that time where it was 2020 where you know everyone thought like oh in two weeks we'll be out of lockdown it'll be fine mm -hmm. and, and then you know two years later we're still in lockdown sort of thing a gag, so yeah. i applied thinking like oh by september it'll be fine it'll be all in person whatever mm. wasn't in that summer i wasn't ready I, there was a lot of stuff that I'd learned over the year that I hadn't consolidated. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to make my project on. I knew, I didn't want to just rush into something that I was going through the motions with just to get through the course. Yeah. I knew that like the work I wanted to make, I wanted, I knew that like the course itself, no one's going to care about my diploma. Yeah. You know, no one's going to care about, oh, you got a first from UAL. Yeah, no gives a fuck, yeah. You know, no one, only people going to care about was what I make. Yeah. I understood that and it made my approach to uni quite different. So I deferred thinking, right, I've got a year now. I have to think about this properly. And obviously you put it in the back of your mind for like three months. Yeah, at least, think about yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like I knew that, okay, so I've got a year, so I can do something in Play that time. Um, so I spent the next like three months applying for jobs, eventually get this opportunity from a creative agency. 
Um, and it actually came. Yeah, I was going to say, how'd that come about? I applied. It was through Kickstart. Oh, okay. So, and I applied for another job at the Whitechapel Gallery as a cura- curatorial assistant. And I'd got that job. Cool, nice. And I was like really gassed. I was like, okay. Yeah, that's mad. That's like, really mad. I think I applied yeah. for a job there yeah. like that. And I didn't get it. I was <laughs> like, great. I've got my job finally. And then obviously two buses come at once and I get I get an interview for this other job. And they, they, they offer it to me. And I thought, this was weird because I there's a two different routes. Mm. And I knew that Very different. the agency was going to put me more in touch with the working life of photographers and, and things okay. like that. And I knew that like curation, it was a bit more like arts programming, arts charity, which I'm interested in, but was more interested in the not making. the focus really. Yeah. 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 So um that that I, I was I was I was, you know, lucky to get that job. And your and role there was? I was a creative assistant. Creative assistant. Okay. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. So really I was nice. sort of like and I didn't have an experience and I didn't need an experience, which was good. Yeah. So it was kind of and you just applied for that off the whim like this could yeah. be interesting to my practice yeah exactly exactly yeah. just kind of applied. put me in the right doors uh, and shit yeah exactly and that was uh that was good I, I was suddenly like thrust into like the workings of commercial advertising agency mm-hmm. world proper clients what do like, you think got you that yeah. role i think i don't know i think I, I definitely demonstrated i could demonstrate that like throughout my time at uni i had executed creative projects mm-hmm. like that's something that in my cv was quite clear um you know i'd set up events in leeds my, my housemate and i we'd, we'd run an event and then I'd run this radio show and then i'd help put on exhibitions mm-hmm. so it was clear that i think that's what they do you know ultimately like, they like take juggling as well yeah and they execute it so mm-hmm. i think that's kind of the fact i could demonstrate that was 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 good um probably got me the role and i was enthusiastic um but oh yeah, I was definitely thrown in the deep end because I, I I didn't really know what was going on, the language, office culture. I learned probably just as much in that year really working there as I did at uni. In a different way. They complemented each yeah. other. Because like it gave me a real sense of like, okay, this is actually what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I could I see that like the lane I was taking in that agency wasn't necessarily gonna lead if I stayed there or whatever and and, and went up through the ranks, I'm not gonna be a photographer necessarily yeah it's more like i'm going to go to art direction and creative yeah. direction um, that wasn't what that's cool not into necessarily you. what i wanted to do but it was good being on the other side of the table because i saw photographers writing emails to producers being mm-hmm. like, oh okay uh, here's my portfolio and i saw i was there at the table where we're going through people's portfolios being like oh, i don't like that i don't like so that. you know what they're looking for you know what they I, want I know, you know what they don't I, want i knew the process slightly yeah. you know I, I i got a sense you know i could understand photographer gets a job for this so it's like i understood the language and the sort of process around how commercial photography are chosen, works yeah. and, and other artists to be honest, yeah. set designers I mean, you need make, to tell me about it. what they're looking for set designers <laughs> please but i guess so like you learned some stuff at the creative agency that mm. has now set you up because now you are freelance yes yes and so, how was that transition yeah and how's it going really i finished my job at the agency because i went back to uni yeah in october 2022 um and that time away allowed you to do the best project that you could because you know exactly what you're going in for i was finishing my master's was fully like up to the neck in it and i'd got a call from the creative director at the agency who mm. you know we're quite cl- we we're quite close um got on well with him I, he was sort of a bit of a me- mentor for me at, when i was there and i'd done some bts photography while i was uh, you know creative there mm-hmm. um, they'd sort of get me on set being like oh can you just take pictures perfect and, and we yeah. might we might we might use some for the av or something or for socials or whatnot and he basically asked me to come on a nike shoot um, shit that's how you got the nike shoot yeah 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 yeah. mad he, he was he, really he, looking out for you he, well the client said they wanted some extra photography they wanted some more candid stuff yeah like, oh well, we'll get ollie to come and and do the bts so but he you know they gave me a budget for a load of film and a camera to rent nice um, so was, was that the first time you'd be given a budget to shoot yeah yeah yeah, yeah that yeah, must yeah. have been a really good feeling yeah that was nice again you know mm. and first time I was go mad paid, with paid it yeah a free, freelancer as well oh, you know? okay so yeah that was, that was a great the whole time. thing was just quite like exciting um and i went went and did that shoot and just went and shadowed the av team mostly and you know it was with a load of kid dancers so and i'm quite good with kids so i was like just took them was this for the uh was it air force anniversary yeah, shoot? yeah, yeah, yeah. that one mm-hmm. yeah it was air, air force anniversary and i just sort of like well, the kids were getting sturdy kids kids were getting sturdy mm-hmm. and i just took 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 pictures of them and they were gassed they were gassed to be there so 
and it was they were easy to have a rapport with them. Energy must have been really good. Energy was really good. And then I hear from the CD afterwards that, you know, the client likes my pictures more, really wants to use more of my pictures than than the actual, you know, main photography. Yeah. Which was quite like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, that's great. And then next thing I see, like, it's all over the shop. Wait, you didn't stuff. you didn't know that you were going to be on the billboards? And no, shit, no, 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 no. Oh shit! Just, run like, run me some saw, extra money, please. You know, I just no, the, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like what? I didn't really understand it, but the, um, you're just like do it, really use it for whatever. Yeah, yeah. I I was just happy for them to use my pictures. To be honest, like I I wasn't really. People did tell me that. Like, Why did you? I was like, but it set you off now, right? Yeah, it set me off. So it it was it was it was it was great to like just have something out there. And then a month later, I got another call from the cd again saying there's another nike shoot but this, this time it was a big big nike shoot like five yeah. shoots what was this um, campaign again was it musicians and yeah so it was different kind of sort of influential people of different disciplines though so we had a footballer musician nice. we had someone who worked in mental health oh and, that's really cool and that's a really director nice. as well yeah yeah it's a good it was, variety nice yeah, that's was, a nice shoot to be on it was a nice shoot and there was five different shoots so that was what oh, was okay. kind of mad about it yeah and, and like we went to paris we went to munich like that was the first time I was wait like, so yeah you've gone freelance and then your old boss calls you up they're like oh mm. i want you to get some bts on the shoot mm. that from that shoot they decide okay let's actually use his pictures for like the main campaign shots yeah and then from that nike's like hey we love you yeah. let's fly you out to all these countries and you yeah. do this, well, they, they, head this yeah, whole campaign. they gave them more work and then i think nike liked the stuff i'd done mm. and it just worked out for them and also i'm younger and therefore cheaper you know, yeah the point of my career mm-hmm. you know, so the reality of that so it was a win-win in that sense yeah but I, you know i had complete imposter syndrome on that shoot to be honest because mm. the first one especially because you know i'd been on bts and i'd been on set a few times but like i hadn't been it's the different. photographer mm. you know with like everyone standing around like and it's all on film as well which i actually okay, liked mad. yeah because nice. i'd already i'd always been comfortable with film but like Obviously, I was very nervous getting the negatives back the first time. Yeah. So I was like, shit, that one's I just got no up. fucking idea. Yeah. And the first shoot, the camera actually bricked. I was going to say, broke. yeah, what if the camera just like. Yeah, dead broke. Off? So I was in the middle of the shoot at lunch, cycling to my mate's house to get another camera. <laughs> oh, shit. Lucky that <laughs> yeah, they were close yeah, yeah. enough then. Yeah, yeah, it was actually lucky. And that they were a photographer out. and that you and knew then, how to use their know, camera. This is a tip is like, make sure you have a backup camera. You know, this was like just an error. Yeah. Um, but the next shoots, we obviously always had a backup. Um, but th- that whole period was mad because I was doing the masters at the same time. It was a very busy period. Wow. Um, and I think that's the nature of freelance. Yeah, freelance is, is tricky because, you know, Ups and downs I, I feel like I had to make the leap of, right, now I've got this opportunity. I need to make, I need to try and start getting the ball rolling. But it's now at a point where, okay, the ball has been rolling, mm-hmm. but like then you get a moment of being a bit quiet and then you have to be like, oh, shit, well, where do I go now? Um, yeah but i think that's just part of it part of it isn't it yeah so with your commercial shoots apart from mm-hmm. you know you're saying you've learned that always have a backup camera mm-hmm. is there any other like major learnings so far obviously like you mm-hmm. know you're still like fresh to it mm-hmm. any other like major learnings that you've got from your like commercial work my major like understanding and i think this is where like working for the agency help is like mm-hmm. when you're doing commercial work often like you are working for someone and it, you are there as a tool to execute a creative vision mm-hmm. you know occasionally you might get a client that's like look i want you to bring your spin on this and do run it you know yeah but like, often you're there as a means to make sure that this happens you know have a humility and you know be humble and understand that like ultimately you're here mm. to, to make sure that this happens you know yeah and you, you, you have to be professional about that and and, and you know, be nice to people on set and, and, and of course you know? yeah like, i think when you're starting out it's like important to understand especially in that commercial world that you're there to make this happen for them yeah and like the human relationships are very important like you got basically that first role Mm. obviously because of your talent but also Mm. you made that human like natural relationship with your mentor at the creative agency and like i think it's so important to to just you know just be kind and humble and nice to people and i I, I do think it comes back round if you if you do that yeah of course karma come back around so we've touched on your commercial work a little Mm. bit and now maybe we could go into slightly more the main body or the essence Mm. of who you are versus photographer your documentary style work yeah 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 Um, i thought we could speak through the proper process beginning to end Mm. of 
one of your projects yeah. obviously we could speak about all of them but i wish we had the more time sure yeah, so yeah, yeah. we'll focus on your project the second innings in shatila project Shatila, yeah, yeah 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 sure yeah so this is my major work for my masters oh so um, this was your final master yeah, project damn yeah, you must have yeah. got a good mark shit yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, give yeah. like a little bit of an intro this is a project where you went to lebanon and mm. it was an exploration into coaches and children of the al-sama project which is like playing cricket in the shatila refugee camp in lebanon mm. and like you explored and documented how they are using the sport to overcome past traumas faced in their native war-torn home of syria mm -hmm. which was so powerful and amazing and I guess in the end, to give a bit of a context, was like all these like stunning photographs, very like moving as well. Like seeing these happy kids' faces is so nice. Mm -hmm. And you also wrote along to go alongside with it, which mm -hmm. leads us back to the very start of the podcast. Sure. When you're speaking about you're a photographer, mm -hmm. but you're a writer as well. And yeah. they come hand in hand to elevate your project. Sure. Yeah. Time. No, I think like I'm a photographer, but I feel like with this piece, I realized that like the only way to make the work you know actually work was was to, to an article alongside to, to give proper context mm -hmm. to the stories and whatnot because i don't think the images did it didn't did that enough um but yeah i can go so back beginning from, yeah i knew about this charity because i played cricket all my life oh okay um, cool so and you know i play a cricket club in crouch end and there's a guy at the cricket club who helps run this charity with his wife um, oh okay cool so he's from london but he's helping yeah, yeah he's there. from london he he richard verity his name is and basically set this charity up with his wife so I, and, and there's been some connection with the cricket club micro club and the charity uh, i was aware of 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 the charity and i thought like there'd been some journalistic coverage about it but i thought like there was a real opportunity for someone to do a bit of a deeper dive into yeah. this phenomenon more personal as well you're saying more like a journalistic touch is like not a personal touch you know what i mean exactly. all of the articles that i'd seen were like photographer goes to the cricket pitch for the day takes pictures of like these big smiling kids playing cricket and then there's a bit of a write-up mostly focusing on the ngo itself and who's running the ngo but mm -hmm. very little on like specific individuals and like really like trying to humanize and understand specific people and their stories and i thought that that was just like a missed opportunity but i also was aware of the fact that that, that, that in order to create that or to be in an environment in which that could be created i would have to spend a bit of time there you know proper time there, yeah getting to know people you know um giving back as well um, perfect and yeah. i think not like, just like going there gaining for yourself really with these yeah, images i just, you want to be I just properly knew that, about like, it there's a lot of ethical issues with NGO photography, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of got more aware of them as I, as I went into it. You know, there's often tropes of pictured people being pictured in, you know, compromising situations where they're not looking particularly, you know, uh, proud or, or, or happy. About comfortable. comfortable and, yeah. and, and then it sort of tries to elicit sympathy from Western audiences. But, mm -hmm. you know, in that there's then pro problems with how we perceive refugees you know which doesn't really allow for these people to be seen as complex humans that are in, like individuals individuals that in a situation rather than it be as part of their identity mm -hmm. see what i'm saying so yeah so, so like m my goal was to always try and go the other way and i knew that like okay i have to spend time to do that um and i also knew that i know a lot about cricket so it was a good way of for me to go somewhere and actually not go as a photographer but go as a as a coach yeah and, and okay so you went out there as a coach yeah, there's yeah. also one something i was going to learn is like how do you deal with like you're going out to these different communities mm. so there's cultural differences but mm. there's also language barriers i yeah. assume but i guess that's the beauty of sport as well exactly and i think it's physical that's one of you the know reasons why i don't think i would have been able to do this project without my knowledge of cricket you know because ultimately i built a rapport around a lot of the kids through this universal language of sport you know, we didn't really need to know how to speak Arabic in order to convey that, oh, you need to get your arm higher, you know. So I would coach, you know, three, four days a week. I got on well with the coach. Mm. How long were you out there for? Uh, two months in the end. Oh, so, OK. Yeah. yeah Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I was basically, yeah, I'd meet, I'd meet with the coaches once, once a week um, and do training with them because like they were also new to the sport. Oh, yeah, okay. They, I thought you were saying it was the other way around that they were coaching you, but you were helping no, them no, out. Yeah, like, they, they were refugees themselves. And, yeah, and, and and had only been introduced to cricket in 2018. I sort of was there as a means to, you know, just give a helping hand, but also 
spend a bit of time with some of the more talented kids who who could do with a you know a, a bit fine tuning mm-hmm. uh, so th- th- that was fun and i thought i didn't really know at that point how the project would happen or whether or not it would happen i think that was the risk i had to take i knew okay. that like okay I, there's no way i can sit from london and cast out a proposal plan for this project without being there you know, yeah so you just flew out being like this is the I, community i, I, I want to capture I told the director of the ngo that like i'm coming out to be a coach but i'm a sort of photojournalist but this was also tricky because i wasn't really a photojournalist at this point because i hadn't made any proper significant work yeah. but i knew that like getting through the barriers of the ngo would would be tricky but possible and but i couldn't do it unless i was there so i mm-hmm. thought like all right i'm gonna take this time i'll be there um and let's 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 start with just getting to know people start with just doing the coaching um and and see where that takes us and then about four weeks in as i was you know got to know people a bit done a bit of traveling around lebanon you know overseen a few games that they would played and umpired and whatnot got to know people a bit better but then i started thinking like okay like i could think i could make a, a project here like i think it's possible so then i started writing a proposal and this mm. was a tricky period for me and something that like was a steep learning curve because i'd never had to write like a detailed proposal plan before what is that was uh, that part of your uni thing that you had to write a proposal no i mean it was or for the NGO. we had to write proposals for uni and i had done before it was only like 400 words like this was like a the director and and the board of the of, at the ngo they wanted a detailed blueprint to make sure that is ethical in line ethical, with everything i want to do they want they want like who i want where why what's my comms plan where's it going to go you know what i mean it's like yeah. they wanted a level of detail which was you know actually in hindsight fair um mm-hmm. because one thing i remember micah the the director of the NGO said to me she said look you need to put this down on paper to hold yourself to account yeah you know? uh, and actually that was a useful bit of information because i did refer back to it as i went throughout the project of being like okay i said i'd do this have i done that yeah, not losing like focus throughout the project and exactly. getting lost in it. Exactly, and getting lost and being like, I think even as just a useful, as a useful start point, it's good if you're making a project of this type where you're working, especially with kids, you're working within an organization um, and you have like a relative idea of how you might want it to look. And it's good to write these things down mm-hmm. and like have something to refer to. It stated why it was important, you know, referring to the fact that there was a lack of individual stories that I'd noticed in the press. Okay, so that was your main drive. Like mm-hmm. you, you said you're going to go I, ahead And I that. just thought, I, I knew that like ultimately they would also benefit from being, from this exposure, from this exposure, yeah. if I was able to publish it. As in like um, funding wise or like empowerment wise? Yeah, themselves. I think just like get them getting that the, the ngo getting more known is just always going to be a good thing for them yeah so like if i could get it published more back and, in and, 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 and 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 spread the story that was going to be something that's useful for them it was also something that was it you know the kids were interested in it you know they liked the fact that i started taking pictures they were interested by my camera i think they also it was something different because so often journalists would just come for the day and and take pictures and leave yeah but like because i so been, wrong man because i'd been there yeah. for a while it was a slightly different experience mm. and and they know asked, you they knew they knew me yeah. a bit you know i was co-jolly you know and and, mm. and 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 you know i obviously they experienced people coming and going but i think it, the, the amount of time i was there was like the minimum amount where you could actually feel like you get to know a few of them yeah uh, i'd coached the top team for a while and i basically proposed him that i wanted to photograph and interview they're like these members of the team and i sort of how old were they they ranged from 15 to 18 okay so i'd mm. sort of cherry picked people that i felt that were most comfortable with me okay uh, and also whose english was good enough for us to have some sort yeah of i actually forgot about that yeah but i'd also i had someone there maram her name was um Fwiz, who helped me with some of the translation mm-hmm. was one of the, one of the kids who was who was, who was who was best at english mm-hmm. so i you know that whole process of finally getting that approved and then you know signing the documents for child protection and all that stuff and then getting the time where i had like a classroom and time with the kids because they have busy busy t- timetables yeah where i could actually just sit down you can have an interview you can talk how many children did you end up interviewing how did you choose the questions and things like that ah oh, that was so i think 
it was a tricky thing because obviously like, I'm not trained in interviewing and I yeah. think like I was kind of whimming it a bit um but I'm I'm not bad at listening to people and talking to people sensitively so I basically just kind of reversed what I wanted to know about them and I definitely mm-hmm. knew that like part of their journey of coming to the refugee camp coming to Lebanon was important for the context of cricket and and the sport and and using the sport as as a means to sort of overcome some of the trauma that they'd faced so i knew that like i wanted to get into that territory but i also had to be very sensitive about how i how i got in there so i I asked quite open-ended questions and i let them sort of you know talk to me about life in in syria Mm -hmm. so that people can go in the direction that they want yeah i'm not like trying to pick out and trigger. probing and shit probing. like that yeah yeah it was yeah. like quite open-ended and natural then I would let conversation. The conversation flow and i would sort of you know the actual interviews themselves were horrific to transcribe because you know really long conversations where yeah sort of we're going in different directions and whatnot especially with children um, as well i bet like, yeah, yeah exactly. it really goes up. but yeah i got to that point i'd got so I'd, I'd left i'd left lebanon with a bank of portraits and some sort of candid images of people playing cricket and some establishing shots of the refugees and i got back and had these images had these interviews but it wasn't a project at all at this point um it was just like and and almost going to uni with it was made me more confused because then there was a push from the tutors to sort of like add this conceptual layer to your work that like i don't think was necessary for this um what do you mean by contextual level like what did they want i don't know they wanted the images to almost speak to each other more than they perhaps did and i think like what i was doing was quite traditional photojournalism as in like i wanted to take these pictures and tell stories specifically capture people Um, capture a place exactly exactly so um then i just basically thought like okay scrap what the tutors are thinking i'm just going to write an article love that Mm -hmm. and i think this comes back as well to wanting to make sure that you are you know doing the work that you want to do ultimately and like i think there was a there was like a pull from at one point for me to be like, oh no, but that tutor said that thing, so I should probably do that. And like, I just thought about it. It's like, you know what? Like, images are good. Like, let's just let me just write this article. So I spent like a month or so just writing an article, basically transcribing the interviews, and got to a point where I was somewhere happy where I'd you know written this piece, which was semi-reflective of my experience there, and also went into quite a lot of detail about the children's lives and i think once i had that next to the images i realized okay this is actually a piece now and this yeah. is what it needed to turn it into a project so it feels like your and process was really fluid with this like mm-hmm. a natural and responsive to the environment to the people you're working with and all of that yeah 100 percent. i mean it was fluid in the sense that i definitely let it evolve organically but i also with that proposal had quite a concrete idea of what i wanted to achieve yeah uh, but you know there was definitely space for, for for maneuver and like yeah trust your intuition yeah exactly and i think once i trusted that i was all good yeah. and then i kind of got the validation i needed once you know i got it published and i'd shown it to some other yeah people. so that's what i was going to say so it ended up getting published in the guardian right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah how the was, how the fuck did yeah. it end up in the guardian so that's amazing I, I, congratulations I, thank you thank you yeah that was that was really a big moment because it was actually just like the validation that i needed of like okay like this isn't i was i was right this was something that's worth being out there yeah and i think like there was a bit of suspicion from the people at the ngo as well that's like oh i was just gonna be like someone who came and it didn't come to anything yeah. i'm really happy that i managed to like say to them like oh i wanted to do that and like look it's out what i did i did it yeah, yeah. exactly while I was in Lebanon, I reached out to loads of, of, of magazines and, and newspapers asking if they'd be interested in a story like this. And I mm-hmm. think that's a good tip because that's something that I didn't know before. Reaching out to a potential publisher before you make the work is not a bad idea. Because okay, that's really useful to know. It's like I, I emailed like loads of people, got a few replies, some magazines, some cricket sports based magazines, some newspapers being like, yeah, I like that idea, Ollie. I sent them a few sample images, but obviously the work wasn't made. But I was like, look, do you like this idea? Would this be something you could consider publishing? And the Guardian were one of those people who said, yeah. Like, so is it just a cold email? You yeah, found someone's email, email online and you email. were like, yeah, 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 let's yeah. do it. And yeah, then exactly. they liked it. They rolled with it and it got published. Exactly. exactly that is exactly. really good. That's really um, also like, it's not confident, but it is. It's like 
it's nice to see that you had that you know belief in the project to know mm. that it's like this is worth being in the garden this is a really important story my images are really good mm. so i'm just gonna email these guys and it really paid off for you yeah 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 yeah. no i think like i just i think that's i always thought that the project was worth being out there but yeah. um the experience with the guardian was a strange thing because like it didn't make me really want to do more of that kind of work for uh, organization like that they're trying um, to control the narrative or something i like think that. there's part of that and then also like what i'd say is like i definitely in the future will try and go for a slightly smaller publication because Very interesting i think that i felt like everything was so quick the guardian no time not even a phone call um you want it to be more personal i just actually. wanted to be a bit yeah. more personal because i think i would have preferred that and i think yeah going forward if i'm going to spend that much time on something that i, I want someone to like just take it in a bit more curate like, where it goes essentially yeah a bit yeah yeah exactly that's and really i felt like at times it was out of my hands and i was mm. quite scared about like what are they doing to my piece yeah um, okay because they have an in-house editor maybe or mm-hmm, something like that. yeah mm-hmm. and i was just a bit like freaked out by that and i think especially with the sensitive material which i was dealing yeah, with and, of like, course loads of kids refugees you're like okay like i've got I, they've said that i can do this but they haven't said that you that you don't know them like you guys don't do you know what i mean yeah no so like of course I'm, I'm trying to like deal with navigate that navigate that exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah the lebanon project is like a really fucking amazing project and i'm really like you. proud of you for getting it in the guardian like that's a Thank really you. big feat although there may be like some difficulties in navigating that mm-hmm. it seems like it was definitely for the best um and you know hopefully they really benefit from it as well thank but, you thank yeah. you yeah yeah it's I a really hope, beautiful I'm, project i'm also hoping that like this is one thing i was aware of is like now I, I think I want to do more work of that kind. And I think this is something that for all artists, is I think once you have something published, people just take you a bit more seriously. Yeah. I think, and that's one thing I kind of had to go through a bit of like not being taken that seriously. In yeah. Order. I feel like if I went out and tried to do the same project now, mm-hmm. having already had a similar project published, yeah, I would have had, people would have just, you know taking me more seriously trusted me more yeah but i mean maybe there was like benefits to that as well though because mm-hmm. like you weren't this big guy from you know this it's big true. institution yeah, 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 backing true. behind it's you true. yeah it's so you were more thing. you were human yeah. Yeah, you were yeah, like yeah, you yeah, weren't yeah. this you know yeah, 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 yeah. big businessman from big city it's you know true. coming yeah, over yeah, 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 so yeah, there's yeah. like a beauty to that but i guess you mm-hmm. know exactly it's gonna now you're unable to do more probably it's gonna expose you to more experiences and things i hope so yeah yeah i hope so yeah of course it will Let's go back to uni again for a little bit of a second yeah. and like going back to like maybe re- revisiting old projects, which sure. is something that we spoke about before, which is kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. And you wrote your dissertation on Britain's persistent, or this is the title, everyone, mm-hmm. Britain's persistent susceptibility to an anti-migrant message, how the press and leave campaigns mobilise an underlining xenophobia in the boost for Brexit support, which is so interesting mm-hmm. and sounds like an amazing dissertation that I really, really want to read. Okay, thank you. But now you're kind of two years on two and a bit years mm-hmm. on you're revisiting the thought of brexit and england and all of that yeah and you're starting a new project Do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit yeah, yeah, about definitely. that so i'd gone to lebanon and then basically since the whole thing had been published i was thinking about okay what can i do next i think like there was there was thoughts that i was going to go back to lebanon and do some more projects but i think that i will do that and i want to see the kids again and and, and do a follow-up but I thought it's not the right time right now. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking like, okay, what can I do next? And I thought like, oh, I should, maybe I should go away again. I kind of want to go to India. Like I could save up and try and, 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 and do that. But then mm. I thought like, I need to overcome this feeling I have of not being too stimulated from my own country. Yeah. Know? And so I've sort of taken this punt to try and, start making a bit of work that's a bit more not critical but reflective on the current state of of britain yeah breaking the bubble that we live in essentially yeah and and, and london bubble like yeah getting out of london is very important for that because you know we're living in a time of extreme sort of political volatility you know globally but also nationally definitely and and you know there's there's tensions are high you know xenophobia is very present and and it's sort of like there is this complete culture divide between sort of left-leaning liberals who live in the city and in London, uh, sort of kind of isolating and antagonizing this divide between like those people and those who live in more rural areas who are a bit more conservative who voted for Brexit and yeah. um, 
And I think like often like one of the reasons why there is this like weird tension is because people from London often just don't understand the situation in other parts of the country. Yeah, well, we're in a complete um, bubble. It's like when Brexit mm-hmm. even happened, we were like, or me and a lot of people I knew were like, we're yeah. never going to leave the yeah, EU. Yeah, exactly. Shit's calm. Remember, it's going to be so fine. Surprise. I remember in Leeds when Corbyn lost like badly. Yeah. Everyone was really shocked, you know? Yeah. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I mean, it shows how much of a, uh, like, a bubble we really are in and, and like, we're all fed just like uh, stuff that yeah, please us. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, what's interesting like when you go out of it, uh, london is that you know life is just very different there so i'm trying to start this project where i sort of get out of london so i went to great yarmouth recently this you know this week that's just gone actually mm-hmm. uh, with the sort of with with the goal which is in of, norfolk so like how norfolk, far from london east, about two and a half hours from london mm-hmm. norfolk east coast and i sort of had the goal of I'm, i don't know where it's going to go but i'm going to trigger you know something happening you know mm-hmm. so thinking about something to do with this and i knew that like wait you mean trigger a conversation trigger, trigger a process like in acknowledgement of what's happening oh yeah. it's a personal thing yeah led. no in the, well in the sense that like i've got this idea of like as i've you know as i discussed like this disconnect between sort of london l- l- people living in london not really understanding life and the situation outside of london and and, and, and and in these areas that voted very high proportion for brexit and you know often just saying like oh you know people there are backwards and 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 you know racist and i just think like it's not helpful language or mm-hmm. i don't think it's particularly constructive constructive and i also don't think it's very sympathetic and i don't think like it's properly understanding of the situation so i sort of went somewhere with a goal to sort of think about okay how am i going to try and visually understand brexit you know mm-hmm. um and visually sort of convey that feel like britain uh it, p- parts of britain that are obviously nostalgic for a time that is no more yeah you see what i'm saying no completely um, yeah so i think like going to a place like great Yarmouth, you realize you see like you know it's actually got a very high immigrant population unexpected to be fair and it you know because a lot of a lot of migrants moved there in the early 2000s um and work in sort of factory picking jobs and whatnot and have have, have small shops but it's also you know, uh. high white population as well and you know they voted very highly for brexit as well i think like you see a place like that which was once probably quite a thriving seaside town and it still is quite a happy place in the summer i'm sure like you mm-hmm. know people come and and go to the beach but like the actual sort of architecture of it and like looking at it you're like whoa like this has seen better days yeah, yeah this place has seen better days. when you see it's bare uh, bones without all like the kids running around yeah exactly like and like there's just a tension there you know and I, i've definitely felt it with the white population as well like i felt like they just who's this guy mm. who's this guy taking pictures? outsiders and shit yeah and i was sympathetic to that because i just think there's reason why that like we're in this situation and 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 part of that you know and this is what i talked about in my dissertation there's this susceptibility and ease at which politicians can deflect and use migrants as a sort of you know free football political football basically just to kick around mm-hmm. um and you know you go to a place like that which has clearly like seen better days clearly like in some sort of financial decline you know all the shops that were clearly once independent vendors are now all boarded up you know every other shop is like a cherry shop or like, londis or you know, do you know what i mean it's not like a place where you're like oh that's a cool thing that's a cool thing like you get in london mm. uh, and that obviously has an effect on on people's outlook and the way they view the system they're and, looking and, for someone to blame for that they're looking for someone to blame and then you see loads Ooh. of people who are all from a different country speaking a different language it's going to create attention and i don't want to say that it's good i'm not trying to justify you know brexit or whatever yeah but of course it, it, what i'm trying to do i suppose is like paint a picture of how why has this come about basically. yeah and who are these um, people um, yeah. as well like mm. i guess it's like trying to understand or just come to grips mm. maybe like obviously it's like none of us really want this and it's really fucking not ideal at all mm. and horrible but it's just i guess it's just like this is our reality mm. and this is where we're at let's stay out of our bubble and come and like you know at least try to understand how we've got here mm rather than it being this whole thing that we were just all like blindsided with mm. this massive thing that we don't understand how this happened in like these times and shit like that. Mm. 
yeah, yeah. That you're just opening up that conversation, basically. Exactly. Yeah, I want to open up a conversation, but I, I also at this point of of what I'm doing, I don't really know where it will lead. I really recommend this, by the way. I, I thought about the thing that. Oh yeah. You were saying, and I think <laughs> about recommendations, but there's a course on Magnum by a photographer named Alex So. What's Magnum? Is it like online um, teaching? Yeah, thing? Magnum is like a photography sort of agency slash community cool. which is basically like the community for the best photographers photojournalists in the world it's and like it's online thing. Uh, yeah. well they've got a magnum learn thing so like it's okay. a bit expensive um but if you're a serious photographer i think you can get snippets of it free online yeah a friend actually gave me his login so i didn't actually pay for it but yeah. like alex soph does like a 10-part series explaining his entire process Wow, um, and I actually found it really fascinating. And one of his projects, "Sleeping by the Mississippi," which is a fantastic book that I recommend, um, where he sort of travels up the Mississippi River, um, documenting wow. people who live along it, buildings that he's seen, paints this really sort of morbid picture of the states, yeah, but, but like very sensitive at the same time. Anyway, he goes into how he went about this, this project, and like he said, he started with like doing real life web searching where you would like literally like type something in like go to that place and you know how they do with web search oh, like, okay you then like find something there and then you'll go there yeah so like click on that link and go there and then like, yeah so you went to this place it was like oh where was that, that where, how did that come about there interesting and then he would go somewhere else and 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 he would sort of just take pictures like that and that led him eventually to the, the river and and then he, the actual final work is all about the river but like he didn't at the point where she started, he didn't know that was going to be the end point. And I think yeah. that I took a lot of inspiration from because I realized that like it's sometimes, you know, you think like, oh, no, I need to like think about everything in my room and study and like work it all out. But I think like it's good to have a vague idea of what you might want to try and pursue, create some framework for yourself, but then give yourself the space to like, OK, OK, I'm. I've started, but like maybe I'll go down this work. And then I think once you then see the works you've been making, it can be like this to and fro relationship with, oh, you have like a loose idea and you make some work there. And then, okay, you see that and that has got a pattern. Um, see what I'm saying? Yeah, that go to so, the source. I find that, that yeah. what you said about like the real life web search that's yeah. so interesting yeah yeah I thought i've never thought that way like when you yeah, said yeah. that i was like i had to take a minute to like mm. deep what you're saying like that's so interesting yeah, yeah yeah and like that has also got nothing to do with the actual end point of the project yeah. you know so that's like quite just a cool cool thing that 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 you know it's an exercise basically it's like you can just start something and it, you know you might not know where it will end up but sometimes just go to the source mm. and see where it leads you, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So this this Brexit project that you're working on now mm. is based off of something that you studied, or deep yeah. dived into in the past. Is there any other projects that you've, you know, revisited from the past? And like, how yeah, do you deal with I, that relationship I, I of revisiting like, works? Uh, so yeah, like what well, I posted one a couple of weeks ago about like this family, like an archive project that I made using my family photographs, sort of explored juxtaposition within my own racial identity. I made a family album that paired images from English white side of my family and the Nigerian side of my family. And I looked for sort of visual similarities between between different sets of images. So I, I found that like, oh, my grandparents actually were married at similar ages. And, and yeah. there's pictures that actually strangely line up between them and, and, you know, them wearing similar outfits or posing in similar ways. I thought that was interesting that the people of mixed heritage, it's like I found that interesting knowing that i am the link here uh mm. and that like actually these are two vastly different worlds who also probably in the time of the images were taken probably both wouldn't approve of my own birth i also thought that mm. was interesting yeah you know i mean it's like interracial marriage wasn't very common at the time of the pictures of my grandparents being taken so yeah it's just like i found the whole thing kind of weird that i'm the picture on the front here really because without me these worlds don't connect and I think like that project at the time of making it, I didn't actually think too much of it. So it's pro and so you've already made the it's the project exists. You made it. Yeah, yeah, I made it. And so now ago. you're that's just, like, you're I revisiting just, it just, for the public. Basically. Yeah, I just thought about like I basically want to further the project with a trip to Nigeria that I'm hoping to take this year. It's exciting. Um, and I think that I was like waiting, but then I thought like. 
I'm just going to put something out because it's been sitting there for ages and I did do this and I wonder what the reception is. I think like that's something that I've, I enjoyed sort of returning and then like being like, okay, no, let this sit and like, I'm going to share this now, even if it's work in progress. What do you Um, think allowed you to feel comfortable enough to now share it? Yeah. I think before I kind of thought, oh, this is a uni project. Like no one's going to want to see this sort of thing. And you know, the tutors didn't love it. So I sort of was just a bit insecure about it, I suppose. And I think then I sort of realized it's like, I think this is good. And just sort of trust your own sense of like, you know, obviously some people aren't going to like it, but trust if you like it, then just put it out. You know, I think some people can get in a bit of a rut of not putting stuff out. Mm -hmm. And I think then like, I think it's good to put stuff out and then come back to it and be like, okay, I don't like that anymore. But you need that reception to sort of guide you in what you do next. And push you with that, the project yeah, as well push maybe you in different directions because like you know i've got some friends you know who don't do that i, I feel don't do that enough. they don't put themselves on the line enough they don't put their work out enough and you know they want to refine it they're perfectionists and i get that but i also think that you need to just sort of share sometimes in order to first of all just like hold yourself accountable for what you've made but also allow any criticism or feedback to then guide what you do next I'm really excited to see where it goes. Sounds really beautiful. You know, I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping it will go somewhere. I think that's one thing as like I'm trying to do just in general is set these sort of mini projects up that can run for time, you know? And I think the photographers that I like the most are ones who, who are very good at that, you know, setting little things that like, okay, maybe time is the interesting thing. here. So if I do this once a year in 30 years, it'll be a fascinating project. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to think about what can I do like that that might be 20 years on will suddenly be interesting. We'll, we'll, That's a we'll great see. approach. Yeah, I love I that. So, yeah, I hope so. We've kind of touched on a mm-hmm. lot of areas now. As mm-hmm. kind of we're moving to the end, and just got a few mm-hmm. little questions to sure. finish you off with. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is a major lesson that you have learned so far within within your practice or your mm-hmm. journey so far? Obviously, we've probably gone over a lot of what you've learned and a lot of tips already. This has been amazing. My biggest learning is, you know, thinking, okay, it's not good enough to just take pictures. You know, think about it. Like, how is this going to... Think about every stage of the project. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just obviously got room, that organic room for like stuff to develop and whatnot. But I think what I'm saying is there can be in your back of your mind of, okay, what am I trying to say here slightly? you know mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously that's very different this is more to do with the documentary side of stuff than the commercial yeah commercials obviously just like a whole different ball game. whole different ball yeah game. but yeah i think like that's one thing that i've learned from and i think that being in lebanon steep learning curve because i was just like oh just let me do the project like, i know what i want to do mm. uh, and being told it's like well no what do you want to do and write it down and it's exactly what you want to do that for me has been a big you know yeah i've taken a lot from that in terms of going forward about, yeah. about how i can approach new ideas now mm. you know answer the um, questions about the projects that you don't really want to mm. answer i guess you know what i mean mm. like do do the exactly do the yeah. dirty work do you have anything exciting coming up that you want people to know about what's coming up what should we look out for with yeah, you i mean so photography i'm trying to just sort of let it run um and i don't really have anything crazy coming up at the moment i'm still searching for work and i'm, I'm supplementing my income doing djing that is something that i'm really excited for in the in the coming months because i think there's a few things like a couple of events i'm playing at and the festival that i'm playing i've never done that that's um, fun that's exciting but, um that's that's pretty that's pretty fun and i think with my radio show i'm trying to think about a way to basically add some photography into that at some point i'm mm-hmm. uh, seeing if i can merge some stuff with that and where can people find you where can they see your work um so you can see my my website is otakare.com. It's beautifully is, curated. It's a beautiful website. Oh, but, thank you. Yeah. And then I also have a radio show on Balami with Don't Touch My Fro. I started with my friend Ben. Once a month, uh, right? Once a month on the second Monday of the month beautiful. in the morning. So mm-hmm. um, you can catch us playing some fun tunes and just sort of generally chatting shit, really, um, uh, which is quite fun. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And the final question that we ask everybody that comes on, what's one point of research or inspiration that you want to share with people to go away with after this? Um, so they'll stop listening to the podcast and, you know, it could be anything. We're talking book, restaurant, club, 
Hmm. Do you know about Reference Point? It's like a library, central London. Mm-hmm. Chill vibes. I think, you, you know, you pay like a really small membership. I don't even know if you need a membership to go. And You're like, just paying it for fun. Yeah, <laughs> as in, you you know, it's good vibes. Great selection of art books. You can just chill, wow. look at all of them. Really nicely curated and selected. People mm. who work there know a lot about art um, and, and can help you find stuff. They don't mind you taking pictures of any books. Basically, if you need a space to sort of meet like-minded people, young artists, look at books, just hang out. I recommend that place as a, I've been trying to get my friends to go and they've all said, oh, it's what, what a great place. Yeah, beautiful. So, That's a really great recommendation. Pleasure. Well, thank you so much for coming on this. I've learned so much and like, it's oh. been really inspirational. Yeah, thank yeah, yeah, you.